All right, well, we're having a good time through this series uh, to really explore this life that God has for us, resurrecting from the old to the new, from darkness into light, and uh, to really experience the full life that God has for us. So today, I'm going to start with a question. It's a big question. All right, you ready? Who are you? Now, think about that for just a little bit. Who are you? Now, as we think through that, uh, we might wonder, well, you know what, why don't I have an answer to that right off the top of the head? It seems like there's no more important question than this to have an answer to, right? This goes just to the basics of, of not only who we are, but why we exist, but oftentimes this is the most difficult question to answer. But it seems we should have an answer to that very, very deep question. This is the existential question, you know, why are we here? Why do we exist? But most of us have trouble answering this question. Now, we can start with some pretty basic things, right? We can start with our name. That's a good place to start. Who are we? Well, let's start with our name. Uh, by the way, I am Scott Treadway. Pleasure to meet you. Now, when I uh, use that name, it's not just the string of syllables that I have used uh, to describe me since the day I was born. There's a lot that goes into a name. Uh, my name is not just about me. My name is about my family, uh, my wife, my kids, my parents. Right? That name carries a lot more than just me. That name is also about my heritage, you know, the descendants who went before me, hundreds of lives that have been lived before me that end up in my existence right here. So there carries a heritage with my name and yours. There also can carry uh, an ethnic background, something that really defines us culturally. So our name means a lot. So to answer the question, who are we, to begin with the name makes some sense. We also will describe our family when we're meeting somebody. We'll talk about our name. We'll talk about our family, uh, whether we're married or not, have kids or grandkids. And then we'll get to the things that we do. And we might describe ourselves by our roles. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. Uh, I am a business person. I'm an accountant. You know, by the things that we do, we'll describe ourselves very often. But uh, there's more than that. Usually when we're in a setting that uh, has us introducing ourselves around a circle, we'll say, here's my name, my family, my vocation. But we might also describe ourselves or describe others in a little bit of a deeper way. We might talk about somebody's talents. We describe people by their talents a lot. It's a real unique way to describe who somebody else is. Now, I would suggest you don't describe yourself by your talent. I am such a good whatever, fill in the blank. Then we know you're arrogant. We know exactly who you are, right? So we want to describe each other by our talents. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, that lady's a great singer. That guy's a great cook. You know, Pastor Scott Treadway is amazing at go fish. Right? There's just things like that that describe one another by our talents. We can also be described by our experiences as well. Everything you've ever done, everything you've seen, everything uh, you have experienced creates a collage that is unique to your life. And those experiences help to shape who we are for sure. We can also talk about our relationships. There's probably nothing more significant to describe who we are than our relationships. Uh, not just in our family, um, but our extended family, our friendships, the relationships around work. That web of relationships is really where we live, you know, our, our soul. Our soul resides in those relationships. And so describing us in those terms is certainly appropriate. And also our environment. You know, we can't uh, really negate where we live and how we live. We live in, say, the Temecula Marietta Valley. That's our context, the neighborhood you live, the lifestyle you enjoy. That environment is oftentimes how we describe who we are. So let's take a look at this list here. Normally in the top three, that's how we would describe ourselves to a stranger or an acquaintance. This is, you know, pretty surface level stuff, just basic information. These four things go a little bit deeper in terms of who we are. But all of these things are circumstantial. All of these things are situational. 
Now, normally, how we describe ourselves is purely in situational terms. But here's the reality. Situations can what? Change. Situations can change. And so for a lot of us, as we describe who we are, we'll talk about the situations of our life, which is easy and understandable. But when those situations change, oftentimes we struggle. We deeply struggle. For example, if a, um, a, a woman describes her life as being a wife and a mother, um, that could be the source of her identity. But what if she's no longer married? Or what happens when her kids uh, move out of the house and she's an empty nester? We can be lost if we describe ourselves purely by our circumstances. Or if a man says, you know, I've been a, a musician my whole life, I've been a guitar player my whole life, it's really who I am, and then maybe he breaks a hand in a tragic accident. You know, then what? He can no longer play guitar. Or I'm an athlete, then he gets a career-ending injury. Or I'm an accountant, I've been an accountant for 20 years, uh, he loses his job and can't get another job, then what? Oftentimes we can be lost when our identity is wrapped up in our circumstances. It can happen in the church world as well. Somebody can sort of pride themselves in being a committed, devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and should they fail morally, well, now all of a sudden they're lost. They don't feel welcome in church, or they don't feel a connection with God like they should or like they used to. I'm a pastor. What happens if I go to a board meeting next Thursday and they say, uh, hey, uh, Scott, you know, we appreciate your service around here, but we think that the next phase of Rancho uh, will not include you as its leader. Well, then what? I have to ask myself that question. Now, I don't anticipate that happening, but I have to ask myself the question, is my identity wrapped up in the situations of my life, or is there a deeper identity that I really need to think about? Dr. Matt James put it this way. He says, we are quick to identify ourselves using our circumstances, how others perceive us, our behavior, or our position in life. It's real easy to do that. It's somehow comforting to clothe ourselves with these identities, it's comforting and it's easy because I can identify myself by my circumstances or by my life situation. That's fairly easy because it's obvious and it's public. And, you know, you could know who I am just by my circumstances and we don't have to get any deeper than that. But he goes on to say this, the problem with latching onto these identities is in addition to limiting our growth, it leaves us lost and confused when they are stripped from us. If our situation changes, we can be lost. We don't know who we are anymore. To put it this way, when our identities are tied to the situations that can change, we are vulnerable and in a position of weakness. Position of weakness. And this is where a lot of, um, you can call it anxiety, I'm not talking in the clinical sense, but I'm just calling, saying a fear and an anxiety about life can rise up because our identities are attached to things that can be very temporary. And when life shifts and changes, which it always does at some point, then we really wrestle with who we are. Is there a solid foundation under my feet in terms of who I am? Now, our identities can be weakened even further if we experience a lot of negative things in our life. For example, we can experience negative family experiences. Now, I want to be clear about families. You either are a part of a dysfunctional family or a moderately dysfunctional family, and that's your only two choices, right? That's it. So all of us have some negative family experiences to deal with. Um, it is said that by the time a young child is three years old, their sense of self-worth is already set in stone by three years old. So if somebody was raised in a home where there was some neglect or even, you know, horribly some abuse, 
by the time they're three, there's almost, almost a permanent identity stuck in the psyche of a human being that I am not valued. I am not worth it. So negative family experiences can be traumatic on a person's sense of self-worth or a person's sense of identity. So when they're asked, who are you? Boy, there's going to be a struggle there. We can also experience rejection of all kinds. There could be rejection when we're young, growing up in our home. There could be rejection among friends. There could be rejection, you know, just for example, random example, if you're on the third grade schoolyard and the PE teacher, every single uh, PE class picks two incredibly, you know, athletic people to be the captains and then they say, okay, pick teams, and then I'm always the last one to be picked. You know, just a random example of something that happens to people. Uh, <laughs> I remember those times. I was near the bottom of the list in third grade. It's, I still remember that stuff. I, I resented that teacher. Just, you pick the teams. Anyhow, rejections can happen all through life, right? Uh, even as you uh, grow up and, um, you know, you're not getting the looks from the ladies or the guys, you're not getting the dates, um, you're kind of struggling in that area, there can be a sense of rejection there that runs deep. You know, you're, you're going out for a job and you're not getting the job and people are, are in front of you getting the job and you feel as though your self-worth is just nothing. It happens all the time. There can also be poor choices that are made. We make poor choices, we make mistakes, we get ourselves in trouble, we bear the consequences of that, and our identity and self-worth just keeps getting lower. Now, oftentimes, people make poor choices because they already think of themselves poorly. They already have a very poor self-image, and so sometimes we just make bad choices because we think that's just who we are. There's not this higher calling or a higher sense of identity or mission or purpose in our life. Most people struggle with these things. Most people struggle at some point with a poor self-image, a poor sense of self. And one of two things can happen if we have a poor sense of self. One is that our identity becomes set and we feel enslaved to it. This happens all the time, particularly the older we get. And I'll just kind of be you know, lazy here and just say 50 years and older, generally people feel trapped in their own sense of identity. Call it midlife crisis, call it whatever you want to, but when a man or a woman gets to about that midlife, uh, oftentimes they are just on autopilot. They've been doing the same thing for years, sometimes decades. Same sort of family identity, same work identity, and all these responsibilities. I have to just keep loading the same day every single day, and I'm just stuck in who I am. I'm stuck in who I am at home. I'm stuck in who I am at work. I can't imagine or think creatively about a different career or, or picking a different life path. I'm just stuck and I'm reloading everything. People feel trapped in their own identity, believing it's just stuck. People can feel as though you know, they're just about meeting the expectations of others. Their life is just about meeting the expectations of their spouse, meeting the expectations of their kids, meeting the expectations of their boss, and their whole identity is about gaining the approval of others. And as long as we earn their approval, we get some pats on the back and some affirmation and we feel good, I guess, right? And if we don't meet the expectations of others, then we get punished in various ways and, and then there we go again. Our identity just keeps getting shoved down. Very often people can feel as though their identity is just in their function. They're only approved because of what they do for others. They just kind of give and give and do their role and as long as they do their role, they're fine. If they stop performing their role, then maybe they're not valued just for being a human being. And a lot of people feel this way. They're not valued for simply being a human being. They're valued for what they do. This just keeps knocking down our sense of worth, a sense of identity, a sense of who we are. This happens all the time. 
Um, another thing that could happen in our identity is that we feel an identity hunger. We feel uh, as though we don't have an identity at all. And so we start striving for ways to prove that we have an identity. And there is a, an interesting phenomenon that's going on in our culture that uh, is a little odd and, and frankly a little bit different. It used to be, at least when I was growing up and, and maybe through the 90s, that we didn't, want, we didn't want to label, you know. Hey, don't label me. Whether it was, you know, the music we listened to or stereotypes, we just hated being labeled. I mean, my generation growing up hated being labeled. Do not label me, man. You can't pigeonhole me, you know. You can't define me. That was a big deal. Now we want labels, and we want a lot of labels, we are striving for labels, and, and, and the more we strive for labels, we, the more we divide against each other because my label doesn't match your label. Any Dr. Seuss fans in here? Okay, you know, some have stars upon theirs and others do not have stars upon theirs. Do you understand? There are the star labels and there are the non-star labels, and then you try to get different labels. Anyway, read the books. really cool. But we, we are striving to gain labels. I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Uh, political tensions uh, in maybe just America, maybe in the Western world, are just at a fever pitch and they're crazy. We want labels in terms of our politics. So there might be people who say, you know what, I'm a progressive. I'm a liberal progressive. Oh, yeah, well, are you a Sanders-Warren progressive or are you, uh, you know, an establishment progressive, right? We need the labels and we need the subgroups and the subgroup labels. And another person might say, you know, well, I'm a conservative. Oh, yeah, are you a, you know, Trump conservative? Are you a, a rhino conservative? Are you a Tuesday morning caucus conservative? Are you a freedom caucus conservative? We got to know, right? We want to know our labels and our sub-labels, and people are attaching themselves to these political labels and gaining a sense of identity by their politics. Now, I think objectively that's weird. I mean, politics is important, but to be labeled by our politics, to not be able to enjoy a cup of coffee with somebody because they don't agree with our politics or to have it degenerate into an argument, it's just weird. Another thing that's weird is sexual, sexual labels. Now, there are some important conversations we have to have about sexuality, for sure. A lot of this conversation and dialogue that's taken place over the last several decades, particularly uh, in the church and religious uh, settings, has been very important uh, to gain understanding and to build relationship. But there is just an amazing effort to be labeled by our sexuality and, and fill in the label. People are wanting to be labeled by their sexuality. So just you know, imagine, if you will, uh, aliens drop on, onto, uh, uh, onto the world here, and they see people striving, struggling to identify themselves by their sexuality. And, and, and you can imagine the aliens saying, there is a lot to life. There's a whole lot to life. And you want to identify your whole life by your sexuality? It just shows an eagerness to be labeled. I want the world to label me by my politics, by my sexuality. There are now environmental labels. You know, are you a climate change believer or are you a climate change denier? You know, what's your label? We have to know. Uh, we want religious labels. You know, pick your religion, atheist, agnostic, a person of faith. What is your, you know, denomination? What, what is the sect? You know, we want labels. It's, it's frankly a little bit odd, but what it shows me is that there is an identity hunger. Now, I thought identity hunger was a thing, so I Googled it, and it's not a thing, so we are making it a thing today, right? Right here, right now. There is an identity hunger in the world. 
because we don't know who we are, the real depth of who we are at a soul level, at a spiritual level. So we want to be identified by the things that we do. We want to be identified by politics, sexuality, fill in the blank. There's an identity hunger. Somebody label me. And if I can get labeled, what does that mean? That means I have an identity. That means I have a cause. That means I have a community. And that's what people want, right? But we're just trying to get that through somewhat bizarre, uh, through somewhat bizarre ways. So we've got to look a little bit deeper. We've got, to, um, we've got to see really what God wants of us. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourselves right now, hey, are we in church? I've been here 15 minutes and we haven't talked about the Bible yet. All right. I give very long introductions because when the word of God's delivered, I want us to go, ah, yes, that's what it's all about. So let's look at what God has to say about who we are. Let's look at what God has to say about who we are. Because if we can believe that we are who God says we are, then we'll have a rock-solid identity. We won't have an identity hunger, or we won't feel as though we're in some identity rut or an identity trap. And I think if we believe that we are who God says we are, then we can really start to thrive in life. All right, so let's talk about a few things here. First, we should believe what God says of us, that we are the masterwork of God. You are the masterwork of God. Very famous passage in Psalm 139, 14 through 18. The psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. I kind of imagine the songwriter standing in front of a mirror flexing. God, you did a good job here. Uh, He's really praising God for how cool he is. Uh, But he's not just talking about his external form. He's talking about his inward being as well. He's basically saying, hey, God, it is really cool to be a human being. It is really cool to be a human being. Have, have you ever thought to yourself, you know, it is really cool to be a human being? Have you ever thought that? Um, I'd encourage you to think about that quite a bit because it's pretty cool to be a human being. I'm looking at a bunch of human beings here, and you're pretty cool. Now, you can know how cool it is to be a human being if you have pets, right? You have pets? Most everybody has a pet. You got a dog or cat. Now, um, the dog, cat, whoever, we have all kinds of pets. I, don't, I lost track of how many pets we have. We have dogs. A cat just showed up in our house, you know, uh, a couple of uh, months ago. And I'm like, where did that come from? Mm, I don't know. There's a big conspiracy about animals, and they're all against me. My whole family's against me. Animals just, just show up in our house, and I have to deal with it. Um, we have chickens. We got all kinds of stuff, right? Fish. We got, you name it, we, we've got it. We've got uh, two hamsters running around our house. We have no idea if they're alive or dead, but they're running around our house, I'm sure, right? Just lost. They escaped, and they're lost. So we have all these animals, right? Just look at an animal and think to yourself, you know, it's really cool to be a human being. Now, you've got uh, dogs and cats, and maybe, and, and so uh, you might think, hey, they've got a pretty cool life, which might be true. I know you love them, but they are alive because you say they're alive. And they go where you say they go. And they get fed what you say they get fed, right? So it's really not that cool to be your dog or, or your cat because their lives are totally in your hands and you can do what you want to with those animals, right? I've got chickens, you know, they're cool chickens, but I can go in there, you know, after Encore, and I can just grab one by the head, do this, and we're having dinner, right? And so um, being a human being is very, very cool because we can be masters of our own destiny. We can think creatively. We can solve problems. I don't see any chickens solving the world's problems. We can solve the world's problems. We can make the world a better place, right? So it's very cool to be a human being, and that's what is being said in Psalm 139, He goes on to say, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. In other words, he's saying it's not just cool to be a human being made in the image of God, but God's thoughts towards us are vast. In fact, he goes on to say 
that the number of God's thoughts towards us are as vast as the grains of sand in the sea. In other words, God's thoughts towards us are eternal and they're positive. He's for us and he loves us. That is what it means to be God's masterwork. And so we could say with confidence, I am the masterwork of God. That's who you are. Secondly, we can say that I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Now we say this so often in church that sometimes it loses its punch. John 1.12 says this, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Now let's think about what it means to be a child of God. Again, we say it all the time, but let's really focus on what that means. The scripture is very clear that we are a child of God as Jesus is a child of God. Now there's a difference, a big difference, right? The big difference is that Jesus is the only begotten son, which means Jesus rightfully proceeds eternally from the Father himself. The Father is the source of all things. Jesus eternally proceeds from the Father as son. So Jesus is the only begotten son. But then God says, you know what? I want a family a little bit bigger than this. So he makes us in his own image. And despite our failures, he says, you are my son and you are my daughter by adoption. Jesus is the rightful son of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. Now, God does something very cool on our behalf when he adopts us, when he chooses us. He says, I'm going to give you every right and privilege as my only begotten son, Jesus Christ. If you know anybody who's adopted a son or a daughter... You know, it's an incredible act of love because there is nothing that would compel you to love this child that does not come from your own, uh, you know, bloodline. You are saying, I am choosing you to be in my house and I'm going to treat you every bit as well as I'm going to treat my own son or daughter from my own blood. That's what God does for us. So when he adopts us, when he chooses us, when he embraces us as a father does a child, even though we're adopted and we don't rightfully and eternally proceed from the father, he says, I'm going to treat you the same as I treat my own son. So God loves us exactly as much as he loves Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? God accepts us exactly as much as he accepts his own son, Jesus Christ. God looks at us as perfect, as perfect as he looks at his own son, Jesus Christ. We have every right and every privilege of Jesus. In fact, the word of God says we will reign with Christ forever and ever. In other words, the seat of Christ, right? The position of Christ, he shares with us. That is wild. That's who we are. We are a child of God. So we can boldly say, I am a perfectly loved child of God. We're God's masterwork. We're a perfectly loved child of God. And third, we're a friend of God. We're a friend of God. Now, this is a little bit of an interesting thing because we're both child and friend. And those are two different relationships, right? If you have a child, uh, you are obligated to love that child for two reasons. Number one, uh, there's a bloodline connection. And number two, the law says to a parent, you have to take care of your child, right? So uh, when it comes to a, a father-child, a mother-child relationship, uh, there is an obligation by bloodline and an obligation by law. Now, listen, we love our kids more than anything in the world, right? But there is an obligation to love. With a friend, there is no obligation to love. There's no obligation to hang out with a friend. So why do we hang out with our friends? Well, because, hey, kind of like you, you kind of like me, let's hang out, let's do something cool, right? We are choosing, it's nothing but a choice to enjoy one another's company. 
And so God says, you are both a child and a friend, which means God has this, this love of a father. He is obligated to love us, and he does love us selflessly and sacrificially, and he gave everything, including his son, for us, right? But God also says, you're my friend. In other words, kind of like you, and I want to hang out with you, right? That's a different kind of relationship. And there's a cool factor when it comes to being a friend of God, right? He wants to hang out with us, and he likes to hang out with us. Now, sometimes we don't see ourselves as friend of God. Why? Because we mess up. And when we mess up every once in a while, we think, okay, well, you know, God doesn't look at me, you know, favorably. He might be disappointed with me. But we've got to believe what God says about us. Don't believe what you think of you. What you think of you can be crazy. Believe what God says of you. And God says, not only are you my child, you're my friend. Yes, you mess up every once in a while. I can deal with that. I've forgiven you through Christ Jesus. I can deal with that. You know, just enjoy my presence. Enjoy my company. God says, I enjoy you. Just enjoy me. How do we do that? I would suggest that if we believe that we're a friend of God, that we would simply all day uh, recognize God's presence and recognize the fact that God enjoys us and we can enjoy him. So it's not that there has to be all kinds of formal stuff going on, you know, uh, long times of prayer, long times of Bible reading, or even church. It doesn't have to all be formal. Being a friend of God means that just throughout the day we recognize God likes me, and he's here with me, and I like God, and, uh, and I can hang out with him. Just that general sense of favor and friendship with God. John 15, 15 puts it this way. Jesus says to his followers, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. This is the source of our mission statement. Thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. The community around Christ is a community of friendship. A community with Christ is a community of friendship. Uh, what a cool, cool thing to think about. So we can say with confidence, I'm a friend of God. And so we need to believe who God says we are. We are God's masterwork. We are a child of God. We're a friend of God. Right? Those things are absolutely and in every way unchanging. That is who you are. That's who I am. Now, fourth, we're talking about our identity in terms of our life and where our life is heading. So fourth, we can say, I'm a new creation, a new creation. This is where the idea of resurrecting comes from. We're in the process of resurrecting to a new life that God has for us and a new identity. This is all based on 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17, which is the, the key passage of this whole series. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, and all things are becoming new. You are becoming new, but it's a process. It doesn't just happen like that. You are becoming new in Christ. I am becoming new in Christ. The old is gone. The old identity is wiped away. The old identity that thinks of ourselves as less than or unworthy, the old identity that, that said you're not valued, the old identity that said, you know, you're nothing but a sinner and you're, you're a wretch, all these old things that have been placed upon us, sometimes by other people, sometimes you know, by the own, our own mistakes that we've made, we, we put this identity on us that says we're separated from God and God is disappointed with us and, and maybe we're just destined to this lesser kind of a life. God says, no, the old has gone. It's crucified with Christ. Now all things are becoming new. You have the opportunity and the right and the privilege to live a whole new life, a whole new life. Now, what does this life look like? What does this life look like? Ephesians 4.22 says this. Now, this is powerful stuff. Ephesians 4.22 says, Put off your old self and be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like who? Yeah, that's a doozy, isn't it? 
Our new self is becoming more and more like God in true righteousness and holiness. You are designed to walk a journey in life that becomes more and more like God. Romans 8 says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, meaning that our life is on a journey to look more and more like the life of Jesus Christ. Some of you might think, well, that's impossible. I can't live like Jesus. Walk with me through this little exercise here. I've done it before. If you have done this with me before, just pretend like you haven't. Pretend like this is really cool. Okay, so uh, can you live like Jesus Christ for the rest of your life? What's the answer? Uh, no. Can you live exactly like Jesus Christ this entire year, 2017? Mm. Can you live like Jesus Christ? Okay, work with me here for just a month. Just the month of May, people. Just the month of May. Can we live exactly like Jesus Christ for the month of May? You're still shaking your head, probably not. Okay, can you live like Jesus Christ for the next five minutes? What's the answer? I think you can. I think you can. Your old identity is gone. You have a new identity in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You have his word. You have an amazing group of friends, you know, here at the church and in your small groups or wherever you are, right? You can live like Jesus Christ for the next five minutes. I guarantee you can, right? You have every right and every privilege to be able to do that. So live your life five minutes at a time. Live your life one decision at a time. I'll give you a little example here. Uh, you might be going out to dinner after Encore tonight. And so you might leave here in roughly 10 minutes and you might say to um, you know, somebody you love in your family, hey, um, why don't we go here for dinner? Oh, well, no, why don't we go here for dinner? Why do we always have to do what you want to do? Why don't you ever listen to me? Why don't you value me? Right? And then all of a sudden we have this very unchrist-like experience. That's just kind of normally how families argue, right? Some dumb little thing turns into you know, World War XIV. So you have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make. The very next conversation we have, we're in control as to whether that's a Christ-like conversation or not, right? So let's just make sure the next conversation we have is Christ-like and selfless and kind and gracious. And if we just live our life, you know, one conversation at a time, God, I want to live this Christ-like journey. Allow me in the next conversation to be Christ-like. And God, help me to be Christ-like in the community and on the road and in the grocery store and at work and, and at home. Just that, keep in mind that God has designed you to live like Jesus Christ and has given you everything you need to live like Jesus Christ. So we can say with some confidence, I'm on a lifelong journey to become more like Jesus Christ. The core foundation is you are God's masterwork, you are God's child, and you are God's friend. Now you're on a journey with God. This is who you are, a journey towards Christ-likeness. Fifth and finally, and this is also a big one, I'm a world changer. Now that might sound like a Tony Robinson you know, motivational speech, right? But you are absolutely a world changer. Now some of you might not think so. Some of you might think, you know what, I'm not going to change the world. But you can change the world around you, right? And if all of us make the decision by God's grace and by God's power to change the world around us, then the whole world gets changed, right? The whole world gets changed when all of us simply decide to change the world around us. Philippians chapter 2 is written to, to the church. It's not written to leaders or apostles or followers, uh, leaders in, in the church. It's simply written to, to the church at large, the broader church. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, work out your salvation. In other words, you're saved by grace, by grace alone, not by your efforts, not by your choice, not by your religion. You're saved by God's grace alone. Philippians 2 says, now work that out. Live out this salvation. Live out 
the, the beauty of being loved by God. Live out the reality that you're forgiven. Live out the reality that God has been gracious to you. So now be gracious to others. Listen what the Apostle Paul says about how we can then change the world around us. He says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God wants us to live according to his good purpose. It's real simple stuff. God wants us to live good lives, not bad lives. It's really simple, right? So let's give ourselves to a good journey, a good journey according to his good purpose, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, now get this, in which you shine like stars in the universe. You can shine like stars in the universe. Now that's quite a lofty thought. It's such a lofty thought. You might think, well, that's cheesy. I'm going to shine like a star in the universe. But get what he's saying. He's saying the world is dark. You know, the universe is dark. The only thing that gives light to the universe is stars. The universe is dark. It would be pitch black without stars. The Apostle Paul says the world is oftentimes very, very dark. And God has put us in this dark world to shine out as stars. We can change the world around us. Many of you know my story growing up. I've talked about it once or twice. As a, a young kid, I was insecure, skinny, stuttering, right? I just, there's nothing in me that thought I was worth much. Family life, a little bit rough. Um, I wasn't excelling at anything. I, I had an identity hunger, right? Who am I? <laughs> Somebody give me a label. I didn't have any labels, right? I had a decent group of friends, kind of a misfit group of friends, and we're just kind of going along, right? And that was particularly true in middle school and high school when you start comparing yourselves to other people. And so I was just living my life thinking, okay, well, best case is I, I'm going to do well in school. That's something I could do pretty well. I'm going to do well in school. And I had a, a vision of having a job which allowed me to sit by myself in a cubicle, right? And I, would, and I could make some pretty good money doing it. So that was my whole life. I was going to a certain school for that certain job, sitting by myself in a cubicle. That was the vision for my life. Then when I was 16 years old, a youth pastor here at Rancho came up to me and said, I want you to mentor nine middle school students over the summer. I'm like, who are you talking to? There's nobody behind me, right? He said, I'm talking to you. Now, I don't know if he was desperate to just have somebody take care of these little booger snots, but I, I'm, let's just pretend it was altruistic and he saw something in me, right? Uh, for the first time really in my life, somebody looked at me and said, you're worth something. You are worth something. You are worth more than you think you're worth. You can do something beyond yourself. You can have an impact on somebody's life. Now, I had all the reason in the world not to do it. I um, didn't have the skill set. I didn't have the confidence. I wasn't particularly spiritually mature, whatever that looks like. I just had nothing in my resume that would lead me to believe that I was qualified to mentor nine middle school students that summer. That was my moment in life. That was my moment. And in that moment, I could have chosen to keep the path I was going on. And it wasn't about the career. It was just about a self, self-centeredness, a self-focus. I never thought I could actually have an impact on somebody's life until that day. And I took the bold step to say, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And it was a great summer. Um, I don't know how much impact I made on them, but just the fact that I took a step outside of myself and started pouring whatever I had, even though I thought it was very little, pouring whatever I had into other people made a profound impact on my life. Now, it just so happened that that summer ended up changing my career path and I'm here today, but let's say it didn't. If I was working in that cubicle tomorrow morning, I guarantee that on Wednesday night, I'd be volunteering for the middle school program right here in Rancho. My job now is no more spiritual than any other job on the face of this earth. 
It's not about where your vocation is, but what you do in your vocation. Whether it's your calling at home or your calling in your workplace, there's a calling that God has on your life, and it's a calling to shine like a star in a dark universe. And let me just be, be really blunt and forgive this. This is not meant as a guilt trip, but if you are not investing any bit of your life into other people, if you're, if you're investing all of your life in yourself, it's not about being a bad person. It's just ha- you, you, have a, you have an identity issue. You have an insecurity about your identity that perhaps says, you know what, I don't have anything of value to give to another person. So why would I volunteer at youth group or whatever else? Why would I spend time with other people? Why would I spend time at the rescue mission or Mexico or whatever? Why would I give myself to somebody when I don't have anything to give? We don't volunteer, we don't serve, we don't give because we have an identity problem. Not because we're rebellious or disobedient, because we don't think we have anything anything to offer. So maybe you can let this night be the moment where somebody told you, you are worth something that's worth sharing. And maybe you'll, you'll start a process today that says, okay, God, I am your masterwork. God, I am your child. I am your friend. I'm on a journey to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And my life is destined to shine like the stars in the heavens and change the world around me. Or you can say with some confidence, I am a world changer shaping the world around me. This is your new identity. And this new identity doesn't get ingrained in your soul in a half an hour message, right? It takes some time. But perhaps today is the time that your identity starts resurrecting to the person that God has called you to be. We're gonna close uh, by reading something together. And I think this is a good way to, to begin to sear these truths into our, into our hearts. So why don't you stand with me? And we're going to read this out loud. And I encourage you to read this boldly, right, as the worship team comes on the stage. Uh, read this with me. I am beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. He is my heavenly Father, and he loves me unconditionally. God is for me, not against me. And there is nothing that can separate me from his forgiving grace. My failures do not define me. The judgment of others does not define me. My past does not define me. My own feelings do not define me. The death of Christ proves the depth of God's love for me. The resurrection of Christ proves I have a new and eternal life that nothing seen or unseen can take away from me. I am a friend of God, a child of God, and a member of his family, the church. In my new identity, I can live free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, and free from fear. In my new identity, I can live like Christ, selflessly, generously, lovingly, changing the world around me for good. In Christ, I can live for the glory of God and the benefit of others with the steady confidence that I am holy and dearly loved in the eyes of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for our new identity in Christ. We can't earn these truths. We can't earn uh, the identity of being your masterwork. We can't earn the identity of being a child uh, of God. We can't earn the identity of being a friend of God. We can't work our way up to Christ-likeness on our own, and we can't shine like the stars to change the world around us without your power and your strength in us. By your spirit, by this new identity that you've given to us, by your word, and by the friendship that we share with one another. So God, we thank you that the old has gone, 
the old identity that has lied to us and said we are not worth much, that we are failures, that we are disappointing to God, that we are not valuable, that we don't have anything to offer. God, those old identities are crucified with Christ. They are gone, and all things are becoming new. Our life is resurrecting to a new identity. So I pray that this day, this hour, our time together would be profound in the lives of everybody that is here. God, that we would understand deeply who we are in Jesus Christ and begin an exciting journey to live the life that you imagine for us, that you envision for us. A life that thoroughly enjoys you. A life that is confident and secure and doesn't have to earn the approval of others. A life that is confident and secure and doesn't have to judge others. A life that is on a, on a journey towards Christ-likeness impacting the world around us. Thank you that we are your masterwork. Thank you that we are your child. Thank you that we are your friend. Thank you that you are guiding us in a journey towards Christ-likeness. And thank you that there is purpose and meaning in our lives where we can shine like the stars in the world. God, unleash um, this incredible life that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen.